Hello, kiddies. So, you want access to the Wicked Archives, do you? Well, it takes money to keep the lights on and keep our beasties fed. Trust me, you don't want them hungry. They might just start eating the writers and then where would we be? Visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash wickedlibrary and pledge your support to the show. For $2 a month, I'll give you a key to our collection of classic episodes. For $5 a month, I'll let you hear the bonus stories before the rest of our listeners. Even more tantalizing rewards await for those who want to sacrifice more to us. <laughs> Over 70 classic episodes are lurking deep in the private area of the library, just waiting to be heard by you. Pledge yourself to the library today, and you'll be ours forever. You're going to like it here, I think. <laughs> <laughs> How much is it for people to enjoy the private area of the librarian, Dan? <laughs> lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ninth Story Studios. Giving story a voice. The Wicked Library is intended for mature audiences only. So if you're not mature, get out. Get out now of the getting's good. <laughs> Welcome to episode number 728 of the Wicked Library. As always, before we get started today, a big thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and our new Patreon supporters, I'm going to murder these names, Desiree Fafard, Cyrese Locke, Zach Hill, and Dom Colucci. Hopefully I got at least one or two of those right. If I got your name wrong, I apologize. Feel free to send us a message and let me know how it should be said. But we do appreciate your support very, very much. Without your support, we would not be able to continue making the show. So thanks again to everybody. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon, you can do that over at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. Ramping up for Halloween here, folks, so we're going to have a new episode for you every week, which means more stories and more interviews. Speaking of interviews, if you enjoy the interviews at the end of the show, check out the Ninth Story Podcast, 
with Jeanette Andromeda and Immortal Alexander for more interviews and discussions with storytellers of all types. Also, don't forget to check out our other popular horror-themed podcast, The Lift, at victoriaslift.com. And finally, a big thank you to those who took the time to rate and review us on iTunes. We really appreciate everybody that appreciates the show. It means a lot to know you're listening. Today's story is a lot of fun. It harkens back to those old alien invasion movies of the 1950s. As we'll find out in today's story, sometimes being a good neighbor means fighting off alien creatures that end up in your neighbor's shed. Today's story is told by Cynthia Lohman and was written by an author making his Wicked Library debut, Matthew Weber. Grab your fire extinguisher, because it's wicked hot out there. on fire. I'd love a nice cup of coffee, but a steaming cup of hot black sludge is what sits on the table in front of me. All I could find in the pantry was Herb's half pouch of ground French roast, which tastes a lot like regular coffee, but with a heaping scoop of cigarette ash. Don't ask me why the French would come up with something so disgusting, but I need to pick me up If I'm going to get these meaty thighs into motion, that's how Herb had described them. Meaty. I don't think he was trying to be mean, but it never made me feel good when he said things like that. Last week, Herb broke things off with me and moved into the condo of his old flame, Hillary Benton, nicknamed Thrillery, back in high school. She'd swollen up since their first breakup, but then lap band surgery slimmed her down again, and now she has thinner thighs than me. I'd say good for her, but I don't really want anything good for her. Forgive me, Jesus. Besides, there's still a few available men my age around town. A couple of them, anyway. I think. My plan is to get in shape by dancer-sizing to the Leighton Emerson Body Burn DVD that's playing on the TV. No more meaty thighs for Meg Thatcher. Well, maybe a little meaty, because I've always been a muscular woman and never had the longest legs. But it, they won't be fat. Leighton and I are going to make sure of that. Right, Porkchop? My Siberian husky is sitting on the floor beside me. Porkchop looks up and tilts his head at me like he's not fully convinced. It's his signature look. I pet him anyway and take a sip of the coffee. (coughs) Ugh, gag. 
Even when mixed with sugar and whole milk, it still tastes like mud. So I hold my nose and chug it down like a teenager drinking cheap wine. I've got to get it in gear since I'm due for my breakfast shift at the diner in an hour. From my seat at the table, I see a light surging through the window. With dawn breaking at half past five, the sky is still a deep blue-gray and an orange glow shines not from the eastern horizon, but from somewhere above my house. Is the roof on fire? The yard grows brighter than in broad daylight. Porkchop starts barking. I jump up from my chair and then... A huge thud hits outside with the crash of shattered glass. The shockwave shakes my house. The hardwood floor tickles the soles of my socked feet, and the ceramic chickens jingle on my collectibles shelf. I'm pretty sure something fell from the sky, but I'm not sure I want to know what it is. Who am I kidding? I run to the window and poke my head outside. The glow is gone, and the sky is back to its normal dusky gray. Sunlight is peeking out across the hillside. My nose tingles at the stink of something burning, and a swirl of thick smoke spirals up from the Tisdale's workshed next door. Not good. I click the remote to pause my body burn DVD. Leighton Emerson's rock-hard physique freezes on screen with her one leg extended in a pistol squat, which looks way too difficult for me to attempt anyway. I phone up Louise Tisdale on speed dial. She's an elderly woman whose kids have recently moved her husband to a nursing home on account of his dementia. I keep tabs on her in case she needs help with anything. Louise is a fellow early riser, so it worries me when she doesn't answer. But her hearing gets worse all the time. She might not have heard the ring. I better make sure she knows a meteor wrecked her shed. I put on my sneakers, drop a dog biscuit into pork chops bowl, and give him a quick ruffle behind the ears before stepping out back and closing the door. I catch a flash from the corner of my eye, and another deep thump echoes in the distance on the opposite side of my house. Meteor shower? Maybe a plane broke up. I see nothing in the sky but fading stars and scattered clouds. A couple of flames lick up from the hole in Louise's shed roof. So I shuffle over to the Tisdales, open the screen, and pound on their front door. It shakes ajar, and there's no time to waste, so I rush inside and barely give Louise a wave as she looks up from her knitting. You got a fire out back! The kitchen's in the rear, and it opens onto a deck through a sliding patio door. The lock flips open with a thumb switch. The door drags across the sill like the bearings are packed with sand, but I finally force it open and make it outside. Louise follows in her nightgown, but I'm already down the steps and cranking the hose bib on the rear wall. I grab the whole snaky coil of garden hose and race it to the shed, but it's all bundled up and jerks out of my arms. I go back and gather it from the ground, searching for the nozzle and fighting with the tangle. I'm getting soaked and the flames are climbing higher. At last, I straighten out a loop and beeline it for the shed. The keychain is hanging on the lock, so I throw open the door and go about hosing the place down like I'm an old pro. Believe it or not, the flames haven't spread too much. The shed is dark inside except for the fire, but I can see the burning ceiling joists just fine, so I soak them thoroughly. 
After a lot of hissing and steaming, everything goes out. By golly, I've saved the day! I back out of the doorway, and Louise shimmies over to me in her slippers. Goodness gracious, she says. What in the world happened? A comet or something. A comet? Or a meteor? I'm not sure yet. We should probably call the police, or an actual firefighter, but being a curious sort, I want to get first look at whatever came crashing down from the heavens. In a quiet little town like ours, nothing exciting ever happens. Given the rut my life's been in lately, I'm not eager just yet to give up this little taste of adventure. I cut a look at Louise. I think we ought to investigate. What do you think? She gives a nod and holds up a flashlight. I'm with you. Louise sticks it in my hand. I click on the beam and she follows right behind me. The work shed is an old two-car garage fronted by a couple of overhead doors, the top that pull up by hand. The floor is made of gravel and instead of cars, the shed stores a rusty utility trailer, a craftsman riding mower, and a whole arsenal of Mr. Tisdale's tools and machinery. The place is cramped with lumber shelving, and since the lights got knocked out in the crash, dark shapes and deep shadows crowd all around us. We can see the two-foot hole in the roof, though, and something smoldering from dead center of the shed floor. I guess you were right, Louise says, her breath tickling my shoulder. Looks like we got us a real live shooting star. I scoot around the front of the trailer so I can bend down and lift up the first garage door within reach. Silver light spills in from the morning. A lot of those shadows vanish and some turn from black to gray. A scuttling sound comes from the far corner. I shine the light and the shadows bleed away. Could be anything... A spooked squirrel, a mouse, a rat, which I don't want near me. A bang from our left gives me a start. The beam shines on a wall-mounted pegboard with all sorts of pliers and wrenches hanging from it, but no sign of any critters. Louise, y'all don't have a cat, do you? Used to, she says. Mr. Titties ran off a year ago. I make a mental note to ask about the cat's name and file it for later. I hold my breath and move the light through the shed, not sure why I'm so nervous. The rear wall is lined with a countertop cluttered with hand tools, jars of screws and cardboard boxes, all mysterious lumps until the flashlight hits them. I hear a rustle from the corner. Then a small clattery crash at the floor level, like a bowl of nails spilling to the ground. Louise squeezes my shoulder. See any varmints? Not yet, I tell her. Nearing the crater in the shed floor, I peer at some sort of smoking stone a couple feet down that split into two jagged round halves. With a shell about an inch thick, the hollow inside of the walls looks shiny and wet and inky. You think that's some kind of space egg? Louise asks. I think maybe she watches too many monster movies. 
then I think maybe I don't watch enough. And I don't mean to ignore her question, but at that very moment, my tongue is stuck to my teeth. I didn't get a good look, but it's no cat. More like a tumor. Black, like the shadows. The glimpse I caught didn't really have a shape, but the squirmy way it moved, like nothing I've ever seen, gives me a deep chill. You saw it too, Louise says, and I'm not sure if it's a statement or a question. I saw something. Don't know what. She tugs on my tank top. I think maybe we ought to call the police. Another racket, and I shoot the flashlight at the left rear corner. One of Mr. Tisdale's four-foot hand levels swings back and forth from a nail on the side wall. It's getting closer to us, Louise says. I don't like this. Her fingers tremble and move to her chin. Then she stares at something in the shed, and her mouth drops open. A black, twisting thing springs at us from the darkness. I jump back and grab for Louise. She raises both hands, but the thing flies up and latches onto her and squeezes her hands against her face. She stumbles backward, the thing wrapping her with sticky tentacles like ribbons of tar. A rake in the corner. I snatch it up and scrape at the black creature thing with the leaf end so not to hit Louise with the stick. Between my raking and Louise wiggling around, the black thing shakes loose and plops to the ground, but never quits moving. With eight or twelve swirling limbs, that thing's got a juicy black center like a spider or octopus, but stays in a constant thrashing frenzy like that cartoon Tasmanian devil. Smack it! Louise hollers, so I rear back with the rake to give it a mighty wallop. The creature shoots away, and I miss as it scuttles up the wall. Must be coated in glue the way it scrambles straight up the plywood like my brother's wacky wall walker from when we were kids. When it wriggles across the ceiling joists in our direction, I quit watching and make a dash for the deck. Louise is right at my heels. Oh, Meg, it's got me! I spin around, and Louise's face is stretched out in pure white terror. She spills onto the grass, and that black, squirmy thing is clanking to her back. She screams louder than I thought her frail frame could muster, and then that scream takes a dip into a deep croak like a monster toad, and the creature's black, juicy body deflates just like a balloon. The big bulbous thing shrinks right up, and all those spindly snake legs shrivel up too, and everything sucks down into a tiny spot on Louise's back that I can see through her torn nightgown. The thing has injected itself into her. I swoon and brace myself on the deck banister. Oh, poor Louise! She'd never been hurt if I hadn't been so foolish to investigate. I rush over to her, not exactly sure what I'd just seen. Her body starts bucking like a bull. All her limbs kick and flail. I grab my hair. How do you stop a seizure? Do I stick something in her mouth so she doesn't swallow her tongue? Somebody help! After a minute, 
she stops on her own, lying face down in the yard and completely still. And then things get worse. Louise breaks into a pitch black sweat. The pores of her exposed skin leak out a dark fluid like dirty motor oil. First it beads up on the surface, then it runs and drips. And suddenly, Louise stands bolt upright with more zip and quickness than I've ever seen from her. But she ain't right. Even her eyes bubble with blackness. The inky liquid seeping from her face reminds me of Herb's French roast. Louise parts her lips and lets out a mad dog roar that turns my blood cold. Then she runs straight at me. Her right hand draws back like it's ready to swipe, and she's got really long nails. I dip to the right, but she follows my dodge. Keeping within reach, she claws at my bare shoulder. I spin around and hurl her along with her weight so she goes careening away and topples to the ground. The same thing happens to me. I lose my balance and drop onto my rump. Louise is back up first. The black fluid masks her face, mats her hair, and seeps through her gown. She snarls like an animal and charges me. Don't do this, Louise! She leaps off the ground. I roll onto my back. With unbelievable height, Louise soars like a black angel against the blue sky. But I draw back my legs. I curl them against me with the soles of my sneakers facing straight up. Louise comes down on me in a crazy rage, and I push up with my meaty thighs and catch her midsection with a direct kick. The impact doubles her over and blasts air out her mouth. She launches back up and drifts to the side, where she then thumps down to the ground and rolls against an azalea bush. I'm looking up at a cloud, just a plain, normal, white cloud, but I'm wondering if it's a real cloud or if I'm imagining it. And this is all a nightmare caused by the three-day-old pizza I ate before bed last night. A strange growl comes from my right. Louise is stirring and does not sound very happy. She looks up with a dripping black face. I crawl to my feet and shoot up the steps onto the deck, heading inside her house. Her footsteps thump across the grass as I grab the handle of the stubborn sliding door, which hangs about two feet open. Squeezing my big butt through sideways, I give the handle a yank to close it. The door sticks. Louise is shrieking and scrambling across the deck. I give a huge jerk, and the door breaks free, sliding fast and whap, clamps her head hard against the metal jam. She's held there, face halfway inside because the door's aluminum frame is sunk into the bone at her temples. She slides down the jam to the sill, and her body slumps onto the deck behind her. Oh, Louise, I didn't want this. I'm gutted. I drop to my knees, guilt gnawing me like a rat eating my innards. I'm about to puke and then go turn myself into the cops when something moves on her body. An ugly black sprig sprouts out of her back, and then another. They're worming out of that spot where the creature went inside her. 
More slimy fingers poke out and uncurl from her and lengthen. Then a wrinkled, gooey sack squirts out and starts inflating like a water balloon full of icky black sludge. It's returning. The creature thing is climbing out of her. And the weirdest thing, Louise's skin goes back to normal. All that black goop sucks back into her pores as it fills up the creature's body, leaving her coated in a clear, shiny film, and me staring at the bare, dead face of my good friend. The black thing reforms and spins back into a snaky whirlwind, hissing and skittering into the house through the gap above Louise's head. I blaze a trail for the exit, tossing over a kitchen chair behind me. The front entry stands open, so I bang through the storm screen, turn around, slam the door shut. The wood shakes when the creature thumps against the other side. My ankle twists on my jump down the stoop. It smarts, but won't slow me down. The fence gate hangs open just ten feet away, and it's the straightest shot to my house. I make it past when one of the Tisdale's windows bursts open and the creature launches outside as though fired from a cannon. It bounces across the lawn then rolls in a wide arc in my direction. With a boost of speed, it rockets towards me as I reach my house. I tear open the back door and dive inside, tripping and smacking onto the floor. No time to slam the door. I just keep belly flopping away from it. A wet thump and a slithering noise tells me the creature is now inside my home. I steal a look back, and there it is, a ball of winding snakes ready to climb inside me. I've got no hope but... Pork chop! I scream. And here comes my hero, tall as a stallion, broad as a steer. Leaping clear over me, the world's best dog glides through the air like he ought to have a cape. With a snap of the jaws, he snags the creature midair and punches it backward onto the floor, pouncing and snarling with that bear trap husky grip. Porkchop slings the thing around, slams it down, and smacks it against the furniture. He must have caught it by the hind end because he's getting the better of it. Ready to pile on, I lunge for a poker by the fireplace, rush over, and spear the thing while Porkchop has it pinned to the floor. The creature thrashes and spasms, and the sticky tentacles wrap around my ankle, but I hold fast. Get him, boy! Get him! With a ferocious growl, Porkchop snatches back his jaws. The creature's body sack tears open in a wide gash. A whole bucket's worth of bubbly black goo spills out of it and spreads in a wide pool, bleeding into the carpet of my living room. Finally, the creature stops squirming, goes still, and deflates into a flat, waxy mess. It looks like it's finally dead. I kneel down, rest my head on my knee, and hold my best friend tight to my body in the warmest, cuddliest hug I've ever felt. He licks my ear. I love it. So I say a little prayer, thanking the good Lord for sparing me and my dog. When we step outside, the beating of helicopter wings draws my attention to the west.
where three of the whirlybirds are flying in a circle. A ball of light streaks across the sky to the north and crashes somewhere in the vicinity of Herb and Thrillery's condo. A few suspicious plumes of smoke rise up from the hillside in the east. The only direction that looks promising is south. We grab a few essentials, but don't waste much time. I leave Leighton Emerson in the DVD player. Porkchop and I load up in my old trailblazer, and we're not even to grace and drive before two blackened, goopy maniacs step into the middle of the road, trying to block our path. One has a pickaxe. The other holds a knife in each hand. Chances are good that I know these two people, but I can't recognize them. We idle the engine about forty yards from where they're standing and think hard about what to do next. They both rush toward us, and I can tell they aim to kill me and my favorite dog. I shift into drive and peg the accelerator like I mean to punch the pedal through the floorboard. Here we go. Forgive me, Jesus. I nearly puke up my coffee when the two crazies crunch beneath the tires, but I keep it between the lines and try to shut them out of my mind because I didn't ask for any of this. The highway is packed with cars, all loaded down and headed in our same direction, away from here. Bumper to bumper, the traffic is crawling. A kid in the minivan next to me smooshes his face against the window and waves. Looks like a lot of people are moving out and moving on. The radio newscasters are in total hysterics, and nobody seems to know exactly what's happening. This is big, Porkchop. Something big's going down. Maybe we should take it as a sign that it's time for us to move on, too. What do you think? Porkchop looks up at me, and I swear he's got an eyebrow raised. But then he gives a friendly bark, which makes me smile, because I know that bark is dog speak for, I'm with you. Oh, it's not that easy to leave the Wicked Library. There's still an interview with the author. But first, this. Hey there. Do you like legends, myths, and whiskey? Or maybe just one of those things? Then you should listen to the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. For more information, head over to legendsmythsandwhiskey.com. You've tried washing it off, rubbing, scraping, scratching, and sanding it off. You've even tried grinding, cutting, and burning it off. But still it remains. It's zombie skin. So far into your own eyes, you wonder, are you still fully human? Or have you become the contamination? Whether you're struggling with cold sores, eczema, poison oak, poison ivy, acne, bee stings, bug bites, cuts, scrapes, scuffs, tears, chronic rash, or any of the endless ailments we all wish never happened, the antidote is the truly endless repair. Head over to zombielips.squarespace.com to buy the antidote. Become human again. Get yours today. Welcome to the interview after the Wicked Story, 
I'm Jeanette Andromeda from the Ninth Story Podcast, and today with me is the author of today's story, Matthew Weber. Matthew Weber is the owner of Pint Bottle Press, and he lives just north of Birmingham, Alabama. He's the author of the books A Dark and Winding Road and Seven Feet Under from the Sinister Grin Press, and he's the editor of Double Barrel Horror, which is an anthology series. He's also written a ton of other creepy and helpful things, which you're going to hear about. And uh, please don't mind the screams and childish voices floating around in the background. That's just because Matthew is a father, and uh, those are his children running around. And it's okay, so you just get a little slice of life today as we talk to Matthew Weber. Welcome to the Wicked Library, Matt. Thank you so much. So I'm you, honored to be here. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that you're here. And you were just uh, before when... Uh, dear listeners, we've been having technical difficulties this morning a little bit, but Matt was just telling me how he was listening to the Wicked Library before he submitted, and I'd love to hear some more about that, Matt. Yes, I have a, this is a, one of probably two or three podcasts I listen to online, and um, I, you know, I, I like the, the librarian and, and the characterization you guys have going on in the framing devices, and um come across uh, some great stories on here and so, some of your some of your uh, writers I've actually uh, made friends with on social media Jessica McHugh for instance I like her work and uh, she seems to crop up a lot on your program and mm-hmm. and um, yeah it's, it's it's a fun time and it, it, it is right up my alley I mean uh, a lot of the type of yeah I'm kind of a kid who never grew up as far as my interests in fiction and horror and all that sort of thing and, and I, I i'm big on pulp type fiction i guess you'd say i, I love uh the short story form and the old ec comics tales from the crypt vault of horror and that sort of thing and that's a kind of a modernized version of that is what i kind of attempt to convey in the stories i write nice and is that kind of what you work on when you're editing stuff too because I know you edit for the pint bottle press and uh, have a whole collection of double barrel horror anthologies right. yeah that's uh that's generally the the guy it's it's a non-themed anthology series um that I edit and, and it's it's uh basically the only guidelines I, I offer the uh, the writers is that I want this to be fun pulp fiction you know I want um strong characters visceral action i don't want you to bore the reader at all you know i don't want navel gazing in these these kind of stories you know these are these are like drive-in movie fare you know as far as uh, fiction goes and um with that series uh a lot of these are generally up-and-coming writers that have impressed me with some of their work at at some point uh, when i've come across maybe we've shared an anthology or gotten to know each other on social media and um, I'm convinced that they're that would be fun to work with, and that uh, basically they I'm looking for people who would, uh, if they stick with the writing game, make a name for themselves in the long run. I think, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of pin trying to kind of pinpoint some of those people and showcase them in this series. And the idea is, um, it's I essentially uh, release eBooks for each of the authors, and it's called Double Barrel Horror. Because each of the ebooks has two stories from each author, and um, I, I release those individual ebooks as a as a series, and then 
I eventually, I, I'm actually in the process now of putting together the second paperback, which compiles all the stories in a single paperback. And, and a lot of that is, um, you know, I'm asked why release all the individual eBooks if you're just going to turn around and release them again in a in a paperback. And a lot of that is just marketing and branding. I mean, in the in this in this world of anybody can publish a book it's hard to get traction it's hard to get notice it's hard to cut through the clutter to get people to pay attention to maybe read your book and this is just a it may be a little gimmicky but uh i, I don't care <laughs> i'll do anything to get people to just give it a chance you know and so uh that that's the idea behind it all I actually think it's really smart because it's going to be a lot easier for people to go, oh, I'll just buy, you know, a two-story Kindle thing. That's awesome. And then later on, once they actually decide, I really like these stories, to have the convenience of an actual paperback and all of the stories in one place, it makes perfect sense. Well, I'm glad you think so. And, and I'm hope you know, I'm pricing the ebooks at 99 cents. Mm-hmm. So you, people can click on that without much... Uh, without much sweat to their brow and uh, if they like the stories they all have a commonality of branding and that I hope will you know stick in the reader's mind maybe they like that story then they'll try the next one and kind of like eating potato chips <laughs> maybe they'll run through the whole bag so so far this is the second of the I'm, I'm currently in the process of releasing the second anthology in the series there will be a third um, and I guess I've, I've managed to recruit some great writers you know um, some of which like have um, gone on to get Stoker nominations and all sorts of things that I, I didn't anticipate when, when uh, first recruiting them for this little project. But uh, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to reading some of them. I just saw that as I was researching you, and I'm like, oh, I need to dig into this. Um, but do you approach your own stories with this same kind of like potato chip mentality? Yeah, to, to a large degree. I'm not... I don't really aim for lit, you know, lofty literary heights with my horror fiction. There, you know, and that doesn't mean it's devoid of uh, all merit or doesn't have something to say. But that's always pretty much embedded in, in within the characters. I think uh, I, I'm not big on um, for for this type of fiction anyway. I'm not big on. Uh, big messages you know I'm, I'm not here to preach to anyone I'm here to uh, I, I kind of envision my readers as the kind of you know movie lovers who like uh, midnight movies with popcorn and beer and want you know want thrills and fun and excitement and that's as far as horror fiction goes I, I'm on my I'm about to release my third collection of short stories and um, they're primarily centered around two neighboring small towns and they all have kind of this pulpy flavor i hope some are a little more depraved than the others but um i mean we're you know this is all relatively speaking because we're, we're operating in the realm of horror fiction you know a bad taste is i mean that comes with the territory <laughs> and i just I absolutely and, and i'm absolutely drawn to dark humor and black humor as a uh almost to a probably to a to a fault with some of my stories because uh sometimes i think my penchant for trying to be a little bit funny might undercut some of the tension um, i would otherwise achieve but uh i i I, I can't help myself (laughs) well even with louise your shed is on fire the story that we heard today it the humor is what 
really came out for me. It's just, she starts off with, these thighs aren't going to be this big forever, and you go from there. <laughs> and it, Yeah, it I really just, like that character. I, mean, uh, there's a, I, I draw a lot of these characters from, I, I'm from central Alabama, mm-hmm. and I, I pretty much steep all my characters and stories right here in the South and lift a lot of character traits from real you know three-dimensional living and breathing characters that are that basically populate the place around here and um yeah louise is uh louise is uh specific to a like a conglomeration of two or three people i've known throughout my life (laughs) do you base a lot of your characters on people that you that, that you've actually met and interacted with i would say i take inspiration from the characters i wouldn't I've never, you know, and and I don't want to reflect any real person in my fiction, um, negatively or positively. My my mind might change (laughs) at one point; it'll be forever in print. But um, but really, I just I'm not really comfortable with um, with with putting real people in my fiction. Mm -hmm. Although if I ever did, I wouldn't tell anyone. Put it that way. That's fair. I know some writers who will write in like bad bosses into their stories just to kill them off and be like, I'm never telling anyone except for you, Jeanette. And now I've shared the secret. So don't tell me secrets, obviously. <laughs> I have had some friends of mine asked to be murdered as basically like <laughs> passerbys people that, you know, get whacked in the background or something like that. I, I haven't figured, I, I don't really write stories where a lot of nameless people just get torn to pieces you know particularly if you wouldn't you'd need you would necessarily need need to name drop your friend if you're going to kill him otherwise nobody knows it's your friend he's getting <laughs> he's getting waxed but um that, I, I thought that was an odd request write me in and then slaughter me <laughs> just just to kill me off in the background right. um, <laughs> that's funny hey at least then you can use like their names for things then <laughs> yeah um, how do you pick your character names? I'm curious about this process. Oh, you know, generally speaking, it, I, I stick with character names that are kind of boring and outdated for, um, for, for this time period, I guess you'd say. My characters in are, are named um, Louise and Edwin and um, it's kind of boring. Tom, Michael, Stephen... Um, Valerie, nothing particularly uh, modernized, as I see in a lot of literature, uh, a lot of modern literature. And, and I've never thought much about why that is, except for the fact that I'm just hopelessly old-fashioned. And like, <laughs> like it's, you know, uh, like I said, I'm I'm kind of a kid that never grew up, and I'm with a lot of this horror fiction. I'm basically playing, you know a playground I made years ago and when those names were a little more common than they are today um, that's why I, I populate a lot of my uh, my stories with Andy Griffith references to the to the Mayberry show and everything because I, I don't know I'm just drawn to that kind of a Norman Walk, Rockwell quaint town thing that never really existed and that's because there's always kind of a seedy underbelly to to that kind of uh, idyllic um, small town America. 
And that seedy underbelly is what really uh, interests me about that whole subject as a as a as a subject for fiction, I guess. It definitely shines through in your story with especially these two neighbors, you know, it's just like <laughs> I, I I love I love the characters in this story a lot. It just started off so beautiful. Also, I wanted to thank you for not killing off the dog. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't agree with rules in horror fiction. I don't believe in them. I think there should be no rules. But I have heard people quote a rule, never kill the dog. <laughs> Except so often, every time I see a horror movie or a story and there's a pet mentioned in the first paragraph, I'm like, oh no. Oh no, that puppy's gonna die. <laughs> and then I'm just <laughs> dreading it the whole time. So I'm very grateful that you didn't kill off the dog. <laughs> Oh, good. Porkchop needed to live. He did need to live. <laughs> do you often add uh, animals to your stories, or do they just, like, occasionally pop in? Mm. You know, I, I, I don't have a hard and fast rule or think much about it, but, I, you know, there's probably at least half my stories have an animal or, or you know, some of them revolve around animals. So I, I, I guess it does... Uh, play fairly prevalently in my plot lines and you know until you've asked that question i never really thought about it but yeah did you grow up i love nature i love small towns and i love the woods that makes sense you know that's how that's where i grew up you know kind of the rural country of the south and uh right on the outskirts of the city and spent countless hours walking through the woods fishing taking trails that sort of thing all that sort of thing fascinates me i find it endlessly mysterious and in, 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 in all the possibilities that could happen out in the woods that nobody sees when they're in the town. Do you end up doing a lot of your writing while you're out in the woods? Or how, how do you do your writing? You know, I, I used to sit on my back deck, and uh, yeah, which is out, uh, out in the trees and everything, and do a lot of it there. But now I've got three kids. <laughs> it's hard to find snatches of time anywhere. So I, you know, I'll get up. You know, b- before dawn, sometimes if I'm working on a story before, you know, before the earliest kid starts hollering about something and um, anywhere I can get it, really. I mean, if it breaks at work, you know, in the afternoons during the kids nap, wherever I can grab it. I don't I don't have a whole lot of say so in ideal places where I can get some peace and quiet anymore. And as you scrape those moments of writing time for yourself wherever you can do you write like an Evernote are you in a notebook how do you keep your thoughts organized I haven't kept notes I, I, I've written a novel back um, yes it was I think I put it out in 2012 that was actually the first thing I wrote and it was not a it was not horror fiction um, at the time it was it, it's, it's it's I guess uh Kirkus Reviews called it a small town political drama. And it's basically about, um, it's got an anti-authoritarian bent and it's about a local election um, with a, a, a crooked mayor versus uh, the owner of a bar barbecue restaurant. Um, it's one of those, if I was president kind of books, I guess you'd say. Nice. Um, so at that time, that was being a novel, I took a lot of notes. Um, and haven't really done so since. I generally, I mean, I, I don't sit, I don't usually sit down to work on a story 
unless I've got a pretty good idea where it's going to be headed. Um, to that end, I, I keep a, uh, a running list of story ideas and maybe, you know, I'll periodically review that list, catch an idea that gets the gears turning and I'll, I go running a lot. I, you know, that sort of thing. And I'll, for days I'll be running around with the, trying to crank out the uh, specifics of just the general specifics, the, the thrust of the story, the, the direction of the plot. I don't necessarily always have to have the ending figured out before I write it, but it sure helps to have a good direction. And in that regard, I don't really keep physical notes, but I also don't usually jump into the writing until I've got a pretty good handle on three quarters of the story. Hopefully all of it. If I can, if I've, if I've arrived on an ending before I, I jump into the, uh, to the mechanics of it all, then those stories really, really roll off a lot more smoothly and quickly. Nice. So did you know the ending of Louise, Your Shed is on Fire before you really sat down to write that one? Or how did this one come out? You know, I had a uh, an idea as far as um, her, her relationship with Porkchop. Well, I get, we're, we're talking about this after people have read the story, so I don't guess yep. I have to worry about giving spoilers away. You're fine. But, no spoilers here. It's all been okay. spoiled by them. Yeah, yeah I did the have story that already. idea. <laughs> and I wanted, because of her um, recent breakup, with her boyfriend, you know, I wanted pork chop and you know, I, I wanted her to have a good relationship and her to kind of see the silver lining in the life that she did have going on with her. So I wanted pork chop to uh, have a thematic role in the, the resolution of at least the initial conflict, you know, which is the alien um, landing on uh, her neighbor's property and uh, causing all sorts of havoc and chasing her through the house and all. I did that. The, that's the the general plot line of the story and yeah i wanted um, i wanted her and pork chop to work as a team to make that happen and i, I thought that would be a good a good way to kind of complete her character arc um since she was a little bit broken in the beginning i wanted her to have a e- even in the midst of all this chaos surrounding her i wanted her to have a, a, a basic basically be resolute about something positive in her life and maybe a you know, rainbows around the corner. As far as, you know, all the aliens raining down society, you know, I, I didn't really have that worked out, but I don't really think that needed to be worked out, right? You can just kind of leave that to the reader's imagination how it all pans out. That's that's my lazy way to uh, handle that anyway. I thought it worked pretty well. You focused on what needed the story that needed to be told, and the rest was just like, but what's in the dark shadows? Don't look in the dark shadows. It's fine. well thank you yeah so in all of the writing that you've done in your life has there ever been one person who's really supported you and kept you motivated with your writing you know I have to say it would be my mom even though at this point she doesn't really read the horror stuff anymore she's a um, she's an English teacher I mean she would she would try she would literally put pens and papers in my hands and encourage me to write and now that I have um, sons of my own she does the same thing with them and she's you know she yeah, she's an English teacher and she just wrote her own first attempt at a novel 
um, about a dog. Matter of fact, he said, you like dogs? Um, a dog named Stubby, who was a, an actual um, historical figure. It was, just, it, was, it was a mascot of, a, I guess, a platoon in uh, the World War. And she basically writes a, a, for young adults his exploits and throughout the war with all sorts of historical reference and everything and the, now that she's retired she's plied her hand at that I actually edited the book for her and um, she has been a never ending source of support I mean she I'm she doesn't really like horror but she loves writing and I, I'll take it that definitely counts. Uh, just to have anyone who says, you know, I may not get exactly what you're making, but I'm glad you're making it. It, exactly. it really helps. <laughs> so if you were to, now that you have kids, uh, want to really support them in their writing, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, I actually try to work with them. Um, my kids are six, two, and six weeks the six-year-old his name's hudson and he and i've actually written a illustrated children's book called that i illustrated too with him it's called i want to be a monster when i grow up starring hudson and he and i sat down and we wrote this book together and um, we illustrated it together i colorized it you know with some graphic software Yes, yeah, that's, that's actually for sale now. And uh, the, he's the only one old enough so far that uh, that I can work with on producing something like this. And it inspired the process of putting this book together, um, inspired him to do the same. He's making his own little comic books with the printing paper that he staples along spine. And uh, he's already off and running. And, and of course, now that I've, I've, I've put him in a book, I'm, I'm bound, uh, I, I suppose, to have to uh, churn out two more children's books because um, it's never let me live it now. Yeah, they'd be like, but you made one with him. Come on, don't That's you right. love me? <laughs> That's so awesome to hear. Um, so where can, now that you've mentioned this book, where can people find your work and your son's work now and read more about what you've been creating? Um, well, my website, uh, I, I, I run Pint Bottle Press, uh, that, and so pintbottlepress.com is uh, where you can find any, e- even if uh, another publisher like Sinister Grin Press, which put out my last uh, story collection, uh, you'll find all my writing at findbottlepress.com, and you can you can purchase any of it at Amazon.com. Um, we've got a lot of titles at Pint Bottle, and I'm trying to uh, trying to build it up. You know, this is indie press, and I, I'm uh, kind of learning as I go this whole thing. Um, last last couple of books, we put out the two double barrel horror anthology books. I put out another collection of. Uh, short stories called Thorazine Dreams from Vic Carey um, and um, the next book ready to go for Pint Bottle Press is called Teeth Marks and it is my it will be my third collection and it includes Louise Your Shed's On Fire Fantastic, so everybody if you enjoyed Louise Your Shed is On Fire then uh, you can know which anthology to go buy next <laughs> 
Thank you so much for visiting us here. And Matt, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. If you guys who are listening have any more questions, we'll have all of the links that we mentioned and a space for you to add your questions over on thewickedlibrary.com. If you would like more of me, you can find me and more interviews with authors like you just heard today over on the Ninth Story Podcast. (laughs) Did you guys just hear that? I, I could have sworn I heard laughter, but I'm not... What was that? Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. You can be a part of helping us keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get wicked fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, and at higher levels, you get bonus stories and more. Season 7 of the Wicked Library is sponsored in part by the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. You can find them over at legendsmythsandwhiskey.com and, of course, in iTunes or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Also sponsored in part by Zombie Lips. They make the antidote for the human condition. Get the cure at zombielips.squarespace.com. All audio recorded in-house at Ninth Story Studios is recorded on Rode microphones. Find out more information about their great products over at Rode.com. That's R-O-D-E dot com. A big thank you to Rode for helping us make the show sound so good. Until next time, go ahead. Leave the lights on. It helps you find the space creature in your shed. Give me sugar in water. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen.